we sometimes fail to think about how much power there is in every single word that we use. You see, one word spoken um, in anger or frustration uh, can severely damage or frustrate a relationship uh, forever. One word spoken in love or encouragement uh, can brighten someone's day and change their outlook on life. One word spoken uh, can be a scorching fire that devastates everything it touches for years to come, or one word that's spoken uh, can point someone to Jesus and change their faith and really their eternal destination. You see, every word that we speak has that same power. Every word that we type or every word that we text or every word that we post has tremendous power behind it. And last week we started looking at Proverbs chapter 18 verse 21. I want to invite you to go ahead and turn there this morning. We're going to read it um, and then we're going to kind of use that as our springboard, as our diving board to jump into this topic of the power of our word. And so I'm going to invite you to turn to Proverbs 18 21. And we talked last week, and we're going to talk and pray this week that uh, God will remind us and challenge us through His Word in the book of Proverbs how powerful our words are. And, and last week we kind of looked at how powerful they are in a dangerous sense, and this week we're going to look at how powerful they can be um, in a life-giving sense. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me. Uh, Proverbs 18, verse 21 simply says this, Life and death are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for this time. God, we thank you for the gift of words, the, the ability to communicate with each other. And God, we thank you that even we live in a time when communication should be so much easier than it's ever been before. And yet God has probably abused more now than it's ever been before. And so God, this morning I'm praying that you remind us through your word of how powerful our words can be. Though, though dangerous as they may be in, in bringing death, God, they can be refreshing and restored. God, they can bring life to the dead. God, we thank you for the amazing power that is behind each word that you give us and the language that you have given us. And so God, I pray this morning that we are challenged to weigh our words carefully. God, that we are challenged in a way that, to, that we will speak to bring life to people. God, that we will encourage them. And God, that you will give us words to say in difficult situations. So God, this morning I pray that we become students of your word. God, I pray this morning that we will spend time in your word, God, so that when we leave here, we will have words of life. When we leave here, we will have words of encouragement, God, that when we leave here, God, we will be able to speak words of life to others that are around us. And so, God, I'm praying, God, not only that you transform us with your word, but, God, you allow us to transform those that are around us, the culture that's around us, through the power of the words that you have given us this morning, Father. So, God, I'm praying that we speak, and I pray that we seek you for ourselves, but also, God, that we pray and we seek you because we leave these doors on mission for you. And so, God, I pray that we sit at your feet, that we soak in your wisdom, and, God, that we are equipped to do your work, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Several years ago, when I was really young in ministry, um, I got a call from our senior pastor that I was working for at the time, and he was going to be out of town. And uh, he simply said that there was an older couple um, that the husband was going to have a pretty routine surgery, but they just wanted somebody to come by and pray with them before the surgery. And this was something I'd done before. This was not anything completely unusual or out of the ordinary. And so I told him, sure, no problem. Enjoy your vacation. If that's all you give me to do, if that's the biggest thing i got to do is go pray with an older couple before surgery, that's no problem. This is going to be a piece of cake. This is going to be like the, the easiest fill-in substitute preaching I've ever had to do in my life. And so he went on vacation, and the day came for the surgery. And I got to the hospital. I walked in the, the room where the man and his wife were, were there waiting for the surgery, and he was on the bed. And, uh, and so we talked for a little while, and they came and got ready to take him out to do surgery. And I said, well, let's pray together real quick. And so we did. We, uh, all three of us gathered there and held hands, and uh, we prayed together in kind of one of those beautiful moments that you get to share with folks. And, and so then they took him out. They took him to the, through the double doors to the operating room. They told us, here's the waiting room. You guys can go there. And it was a big waiting room. It wasn't a small one. It was a pretty good waiting room and uh, so me and this lady went and sat in this room and and they had, uh, it wasn't long after we were sitting there that uh, the the phone rang and they had a desk that were sitting there and somebody was working at the desk and so she would call your name if the phone was for you and so she called um, this lady's name and said um, then the, sorry the lady told her that uh, they were just getting started with surgery Everything was going fine. Everything was going good. They were just getting started. Uh, the surgery should take about an hour, so we should expect an update in about an hour's time. 
And so then we sat there and talked, and as we were talking, his two daughters, uh, who couldn't get there earlier, they, they came a little bit later, so then all four of us just sat in this waiting room uh, with all these other people, and it was just us four just kind of off to our side, and we were just talking with each other, and uh, the hour came and went, and no update. And then about 30 minutes later, uh, we finally, the phone rang again, and the lady called her up front, and the lady said um, that everything was, was going well, uh, but the doctor would want to see us um, off to the, in this side room. And so everything was fine. And so me and this wife and these two daughters who were adults and had kids of their own, we moved to this little side room. And we honestly expected the nurse to come through and tell us that everything was fine. And so we walked in this little room. There was probably eight or nine chairs in this room, one little table over there with a phone on it and two doors. One we just walked through to get in the room, and the other one we assumed kind of led back to the back parts that nobody's allowed in. That's like where the, the serious stuff happens, the operation stuff happens over there. And so we sat in there for, you know, probably 45 minutes, just expecting any moment that door to open and a nurse to walk through and just tell us, hey, you can come back and see him. Hey, everything's going great. You, he's fine. You just come back and see him. And so we just kept talking and kind of kept on this conversation. Everything lighthearted. Man, I learned so much about this family and how the, these two ladies grew up and how their kids were growing up and just all this lighthearted conversation. And then all of a sudden, that door that led to no man's land over there, it opened. But it wasn't a nurse that walked through it. Instead, it was a team of three or maybe four doctors. And the very first one walked right over to the man's wife. And he knelt down on his knee and he simply said, Ma'am, I'm so sorry. I don't know what happened. And I don't know why it happened. But just as we were finishing up, just as we were putting the last few stitches in, his heart stopped. And I don't know why. And, and I can't do anything to fix it. And, and, and as much as we tried and we tried everything, we don't know why it happened and we don't know how it happened. It just happened. And we've done everything we can to fix this problem. And yet we couldn't. And man, we are so sorry. And then he simply said, would you like one of our chaplains on staff to come and speak with you? And at that point, the lady looked at me and she said, no, one of our pastors has been with us this whole time. And I'm sure he's got some words for us in this moment. And at that, the, four team, the team of four doctors walked out of the room and left us four standing there in this room, totally unexpected and overwhelmed by ourselves. And my only thought at that moment, what in the world am I supposed to say right now? How do I bring comfort to this lady who just lost the love of her life so unexpectedly that, that 30 minutes ago, 45 minutes ago, everything was going to great. She was going to get ready to see him again. But now in this moment, what words could I use that would bring comfort to her? These two daughters that I had gotten to know in the last 45 minutes or so and, and heard so much about their childhood and so much about their children, and what words in the, can I use to, to bring them hope in this situation? Was there any words that I could possibly use that would be helpful in this moment? And so as the mom and the two daughters kind of got together and they just hugged each other and started crying, I just stepped over the side and I just simply prayed, God, give me some words to be helpful in this moment because I have nothing. And I imagine that some of you sitting in this room and some of you watching online, you have been in a situation, maybe not exactly like that, but you've probably been in a very similar situation where you've had a, a friend or something tragic has happened and you feel like you have to say something. You feel like you want to give comfort. You feel like you want to give uh, hope or peace or, or something to these folks that you love and care about. But you just kind of struggled with the words. And what words could I say? Is there any words that could be helpful at this time? Are there any words of hope? Are there anything that I can say? For some of you, maybe it happened um, just at a, at a funeral. You went to a funeral and there was this long line of family that you went to shake hands with. But the only people you knew were at that end of the line. And so you've got to go through all these other family members that you, you don't really know. And you walk up to them and you're like, what do I say to these people I don't know? And there's this kind of awkwardness 
because the line's not moving. You can't get to the people that you want to speak comfort to because them, you know what to say. You know what's on your heart, but what about these folks? And for some of you, maybe it's a, a friend or a family member that has told you something that just really kind of a bombshell moment. They've really been struggling with this, and you didn't know it, and you didn't see it coming at all, but all of a sudden they put this on you, and you're just like, what? I don't, I don't know how to be helpful in this moment, I really don't know what to say. I don't know how to find words to help with the struggle. And so this morning, we're going to be looking um, at, at how to, to find those words. What kind of words can we use to bring clarity to those awkward situations? What kind of words can we use to, to bring comfort and peace in those situations? And fortunately for us, we've got this wonderful book of Proverbs that's so full of wisdom. And what the book of Proverbs does is it really gives us these six characteristics of what it is, if you're going to use words that speak life, if you're going to use words that uh, are helpful to someone in a tragic situation, or really any situation, they've got to be spoken in these six characteristics. And so the first characteristic we're going to see um, as we jump through the book of Proverbs, and for you guys that have been with us uh, for a while, you know we're going we're gonna to jump through lots of different uh, passages and lots of different verses. And so um, if you have time, you can just jot them down. Hopefully you got a bulletin. You can see the outline there, and, and some of them are listed there, but uh, you probably won't have time to turn to all of them. But the first characteristic is that whatever words you say in whatever moment you are saying it in, the very first thing, if they're going to be helpful at all, they have to be trustworthy, which means they have to be true and they have to contain truth within them. All right? And so we have to be able to trust the words that we say. This is the first thing that Solomon points out and the point he's making in chapter 12, verse 17. And this is, he uses this image of a courtroom to help him make this point. So in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 17, he simply says this, that whoever speaks the truth declares what is right, but a false witness deceives. In this image of a courtroom, he, he contrasts two different types of witnesses. He, one that's going to tell the truth, and one that is not telling the truth, right? And so what he's telling you is that, that there's one witness there who's going to tell the truth. And this telling of the truth is going to help society. This telling of the truth brings righteousness and justice to society. And so if you have somebody who is a witness in court and they tell what is true, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, you know that whole thing, if they're willing to do that, that helps justice prevail. That helps society make right decisions, the jury or the judge, because the words that person speaks are the truth, right? So it's beneficial to all of society. It, it helps not just that person, but it helps justice prevail, which helps society, all right? And he contrasts that with this false witness or somebody who gets on the stand and they don't tell the whole truth. You see, they're, they're looking to tell either part of the truth or make up their own version of the truth. And sometimes... They tell only part of the truth because they want to tell you the part of the truth that, that makes them look good or makes someone else look bad. Or maybe they only want to tell you part of the truth that makes them not look so bad. Right? They, they may tell you part of the truth that uh, makes um, kind of someone who's guilty be able to get away with something. Or maybe they only tell part of the truth because they don't want to hurt someone's feelings. You see, but whatever the reason that they're not telling the whole truth. It's disruptive to justice, and it's not helpful to anyone. It, it, it may seem like it's helpful. It may seem like that they're not going to hurt somebody's feeling in the courtroom, but when in reality, they're causing a tremendous amount of harm. Deceit is always disruptive, it's always dangerous, and it's always harmful. So listen, if we're going to speak words of life, if we're going to speak words that are helpful, not only to us, but those around us, we have to speak words of truth. Now, I've got to be honest with you. That's not always easy because there are times that the truth hurts. There are times when the truth makes us uncomfortable. Listen, I want you to be honest, but we still have to hold to that. But the truth doesn't stop being the truth when it makes somebody uncomfortable. The truth doesn't stop being true when it makes somebody feel bad about what they've done or uncomfortable about the choices they made. And if we're, if we're going to use words of, of helpful and words that are life, we've got to speak words of truth. Let me give you this idea. It's not easy to walk up to a friend who's an alcoholic and tell them they have a drinking problem. It's not easy. But it's helpful. Why? Because it's true. And if we don't do that, then they're never going to seek help. They're never going to pursue help. It's not easy to walk up to somebody 
and tell them, a friend who's headed down a bad path, hey, listen, this is not good for you. It's not an easy conversation to have, but it's a helpful conversation because it's true, and that truth will set them free, and it's the only way they're going to receive that truth. It's not easy to tell someone who's living a lifestyle contrary to Scripture that they're a sinner and they need to repent and they need Jesus to do this. But it's helpful because it's true and it's the only truth they have. It's not easy to tell someone that hell is a real place and if you die without Jesus, that is where you'll spend eternity. That's not an easy conversation to have, but guess what? It's a helpful conversation to have because it is true. And anytime we deceit, anytime we water down, anytime we, we shallow out the truth, we are deceptive in what we are telling someone. In chapter 24, verse 26, Solomon says that he who gives an honest answer gives a kiss on the lips. You see, there's an amount of intimacy, there's an amount of unity that happens when we speak truthfully and honestly that cannot happen when we speak deceitfully, that cannot happen when we're not telling the truth. All right? So here's a quick little uh, side note for you. Ladies, if you don't want to know the truth about how you look in an outfit, don't ask the question, okay? A real friend is going to tell you the truth, even if the truth hurts. A real friend is going to look at you and be like, I don't know what you were thinking when you put that outfit together, but it doesn't work for you, okay? That's the truth. It may hurt, right? A real friend will look at you and say, what you're doing is hurtful not only to you but to your family, and you need to stop it. It hurts, but it's the truth. And that's what is helpful because that's what leads the person to a place they need to be. You see, when we don't speak the truth, it means you're participating in and perpetuating a lie that just continues on. And so in anything less than the whole truth and nothing but the truth, it's deceitful. It makes you a false witness. And any words you say from that point on are not helpful. Let me give you a bigger illustration in our society. It is not helpful to allow someone to think they are something that they are not. And just continue to live this lie. It's not helpful. What we need to do is when your mental reality doesn't match your physical reality, we need to, to work together so that we, those two can actually match up. It's not helpful to say, it's okay, you can be that way. No, it's helpful to say, no, this is the Word of God. This is the standard we're all judged by. And if you want to be right with God, this is what it takes. That's the conversation that is helpful because that is the truth. And if we water things down, if we say, no, it's all right. You don't have to obey this part of Scripture. You don't have to listen to this part of Scripture. Then we're not giving them truth and we're not being helpful to them. If we're not going to speak the whole truth, then we shouldn't speak anything because anything less than the whole truth is not helpful. To not have a conversation that sin is a reality and sin separates us from God is not helpful. It is harmful. It is deceptive. Anybody who carries on a conversation that says there's another way to God except through Jesus Christ, that is not the truth and it is not helpful to anyone. You see, when we're going to speak words of life, we're going to speak words that are helpful. We've got to speak the truth in everything that we say and everything we do. But if we're going to do it in a way that's helpful, we not only have to speak the truth, but we have to do it in a way that is tactful as well. That's the second characteristic. Things have to be tactful. You see, there are some people that really enjoy getting a reaction out of certain folks. And I can share with this with you as a younger sibling. And, and we're not going to raise our hands. This is not a moment of confession. But if you're a younger sibling, you know this is true. If you're an older sibling, you know this is true as well. Us younger siblings, we are experts at trying to get a reaction out of older siblings. Okay? Yeah, some of us, I get some hands. Some of us know this because we know. Like, we have studied our brothers and sisters, and we know exactly what to say or what to do to push just the right button to get them to boom and explode and yell at us all right and then we have a secret weapon that older brothers and sisters don't have we have the baby card that we get to play okay because what we do is we get to poke and prod and, and mess with our older brother and sister or, or older brother or older sister whichever one you've got we get to mess with them and poke them and prod them and all we want to and all of a sudden when they explode when they yell at us or when they pummel us like what do we get to do that they don't get to we get to take off running to mommy and then mommy automatically comes to our defense and be like, how dare you do that to your brother? All right, now, I'm, this, this is my moment of confession. You don't have to confess this, all right? But I can tell you that, that my brother got several beatings because he beat me because I was poking him and prodding him along the way, all right? And, and I will fess up to it right now that he got beatings because I, I, it was totally on me, all right? But I want to share with you that's not just a sibling thing, all right? That that is a reality in lots of folks. It's not just a sibling thing that we do this. There are other people in your life, and you may be able to identify these people really well, that, that, that they will poke and they will prod and they will say things just to get you to explode, 
just to get a reaction out of you. These are folks that when you sit around the Thanksgiving table or you gather for the family Christmas and, and you, you're, you're going to be really good. You're just going to keep your mouth closed this year and you're just going to bite your tongue. And these are the people that just won't let that certain political stance go or they just won't let that certain um, idea they have or whatever it is that they like to argue, they just won't let it go. And they just keep at you and keep at you and keep at you. Do you know why they're doing that? They're not doing that to change your mind. They're not doing that to convince the other people around you of their way of thinking. You know what they're doing? They're waiting for you to explode. Because the moment that you explode is the moment they run to everybody else in that circle, all their mommies in that circle, and all of a sudden you look like the bad guy. Even though you were speaking truth, you look like the bad guy because you came at them in an attacking kind of way. And so all of a sudden everybody's sympathetic to the little one who was the 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 um the provoker of the situation to start with everybody's sympathetic and maybe they were the ones that were being honest the whole time because look how you blew up you see we've got to speak truth but we have to do it in a way that is tactful we've got to do it in a way as as solomon describes in chapter 15 verse 1 he tells us that our, we have to be honest but we have to be tactful and he says in 15 1 he says a gentle answer turns away anger but a hard word stirs up wrath. So I want you to understand, he's not saying that we water down truth because he's already told us that an honest answer is good. And now he's telling us a gentle answer is good. And so it's not an either or. We don't have to pick whether we are telling the truth or being gentle. What he's telling you is you can be both. You should be both. You should be honest and truthful in what you say and the answers you give, but you also need to do it in a way that is gentle enough that it's not coming off as attack in a way that's not going to turn people off or cause them to shy away from the truth you're speaking. I can't tell you the number of people who are turned off from the gospel message because of the way it is presented to them. And I can tell you that maybe presented is not the word. Maybe it's yelled at them. Maybe it is forced on them. There are people who don't even want anything to do with church because the message has been shoved at them and beat on them so much that they don't even want to hear a conversation anymore. Is it truth? Yes. Do we have to tell the truth? Yes. But we have to do it in a way that's not attacking and not a way that, in a way that's not harsh, not a way that's going to stir up the wrath of someone else. One commentator I read this week, he gave this wonderful illustration about um, how we speak the truth and how we speak um, or use our speech. And he says it's really like oil. He said that oil can be applied to skin that is bruised and wounded. And when it is applied to skin that is bruised and wounded, it will soften that area and help heal that wound. All right? He says, but that same exact oil can be used on a fire to ignite a flame that is almost out. And all of a sudden you put this little bitty oil, same amount you would put on your skin, on this fire. And it flares up, and it scorches, and it burns, and it scars, and it will blister that skin if it gets near it. You see, what he's telling you is the truth is like that oil. The oil is the same exact thing. The truth is the same exact thing. The only difference is how we applied that truth and how we used that truth. You see, some people are going to use the truth as a, as a weapon to go into battle, and you're going to use the truth and you're going to use Scripture solely to win an argument. You might as well throw it on a fire, is what he's telling you. The gentle answer, the tactful answer, is one who's going to use the truth, and they're going to use it to apply to someone not to win an argument, but to win someone's heart to Him. They're going to use the words of Scripture, they're going to use the words of their mouth, and they're going to use words of truth not to win a debate, but to win someone's heart over to their situation, to, to the gospel, to those who need it. You see, words, even as true and as truthful as they are, they can also be harsh, and, and when they're harsh, they're not helpful. They leave this bitter taste in someone's mouth and, mouth, and this bitterness will cause them to reject the truth of the message just because of the bitterness it was wrapped up in. You see, but if our goal is to be helpful, we've got to wrap it in a way that is not bitter. Instead, we've got to wrap it in pleasant words, and that's what he says in chapter 16, verse 24. In Proverbs 16, 24, he says, Pleasant words or a honeycomb, sweet to the taste and health to the body or health to the bones. A different translation may say to the bones, but either word is, is working there. So what he wants you to understand is, listen, you, you have the truth. You must speak the truth, but do it in a way that people want to hear 
the truth. Speak in a way that people desire what you have because when they desire it, it's the only way that it's going to get inside of them. Right? If you give them something that's bitter and something that's harsh, what they're going to do is spit it out and they're never going to come back to it. But if you give them something that's sweet, if you wrap the truth, and even life-changing, even hard truth, if you can wrap it in a way that is gentle, if you can wrap it in a way that is sweet and makes them desire it, they're going to come back to it. And eventually they're going to consume enough of it that it's going to change them from the inside out. It's going to bring help to them physically and spiritually as well. Our job is to speak the truth, that is words that are useful, but also to have tact in the way that we do it. It's the only way that we're going to bring health to someone from the inside out. We need to be smooth instead of harsh and bitter. And that's not always easy. You see, sometimes to produce those tactful words, we have to think through our words. We have to be thoughtful about what we say. Sometimes we've got to slow down and think about what we're going to say because for some of us, and again, this is not a moment of confession for you. For some of us, our, our mouth may work just a little bit faster than our mind works. All right? And again, you don't have to raise your hand. Some of us, uh, my older brother, uh, it's the only brother I have, that's his specialty. My specialty was poking and prodding him, and his specialty was he let his mouth run ahead of his mind. Uh, so we, we both have specialties. But if we're going to use words that are helpful, we've got to use words that are thoughtful. We've got to use words that, that we've given thought to, and we've weighed these words carefully. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 28, it's a great verse. So Solomon points this out, and we looked at it last week, but it deserves this second look. In fifteen twenty-eight, he says, The mind of the righteous person thinks before answering. But the mouth of the wicked, it just blurts out evil things. Words or, or things that we, or excuse me, the word for think there, it means to meditate or to study on it. It means more than just, it, it, it's what the first thing that popped in your mind, and so it's the first thing out of your mouth. Right? It, because for some of us, that's the extent of thinking about our words. It popped in my mind, so it came out my mouth. Right? That's not what he's saying. The word he uses means that you study or you meditate on the words that you're getting ready to say. That you actually stop the conversation. You shut down your mouth and work through your mind what you're about to say. Right? That's the way that you produce helpful words. The words um, that you are, are getting ready to say, you not only think through and process their meaning, but you also think through and process how is this going to be received by the person I'm speaking to. What is their perception of this? Because let's be honest, most of us have been in a situation either through text or through email or even the words we said. We said something we meant, but the person received it and perceived it as something very different. All right? Maybe you got a text message and you read something into that text message that that person didn't mean whatsoever. All right? So a thoughtful, helpful conversation is one that you think through and you think not just the words that you put down on that screen, not just the words that come out of mouth, but you really think through and process this is what this is going to look like to this person in this situation. And so I'm responsible not just for what I say, but I'm responsible for what's communicated through the words that I say. Right? Meaning I've got to make sure there is no miscommunication, no misunderstanding in the words I'm about to say. So take time to consider them, to think through them, to meditate on them. You see, and most times we find that those are the words that are most helpful, not the ones that just fly off our head, not the ones that we just come up with. You see, sometimes as we think through the words that we should say, it's okay to stop the conversation. You see, we don't think about that in the time. We don't think, we, we, sin, we have this idea that if we're helpful, we've got to just keep talking. But sometimes the best thing you could say in a conversation, the most helpful thing you can say in a conversation is simply this. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I never thought about that. Why don't, you, why don't you let me take some time, think through this, and then you and I can get back together and have this conversation, okay? And I can share with you that that comes along across a whole lot better, especially when you're witnessing someone, especially when you're giving them the gospel to someone. If they can present an idea to you and be like, you know, that's an interesting thought. Let me think about that, and let me get back with you. That will come off a whole lot better than you just shoving Bible verses at them that they don't believe the Bible's true anyway. Right? Because all of a sudden, they're, they're turned off. Right? So giving thought to what you say, and as you think through it, sometimes you'll find that the best answer you can give is simply no answer at all. Sometimes the best words you can choose are to not use words at all. Right? In Proverbs chapter 17, verse 27 and 28 kind of give us this idea. 
And sometimes the most helpful thing to say is nothing. In chapter 17, verse 27, he says this, Then the intelligent person restrains his words, and the one who keeps a cool head is a man of understanding. Restrain your words mean that you have something you really want to say, something that you really, uh, it's just on the tip of your tongue, but as you think about it, you restrain it. You decide not to say it. You see, and there's different reasons why this is helpful. One of the reasons it's helpful is because in the heat of the moment, you could say something you're going to regret later. All right? And this is a verse that I go to a lot um, when, I, when, I talk with, when I talk with couples that are having uh, trouble in their marriage because they get in a heated argument. They get in a heated conversation, and they just lob these grenades at each other, man, just words they mean to hurt each other with. And then you've got to come back and apologize for those words later. You regret saying those words in the heat of the moment, even with your spouse or even with somebody at work. You, you're just so passionate about what it is your situation or so frustrated is you speak words that are harmful and then you regret those things later. So sometimes it's better if you just stop and close your mouth, and then you don't have to apologize for what you didn't say. All right? Nobody has to apologize for what they didn't say. You only have to apologize for what you did say. There's a second reason that sometimes silence is the best thing is because sometimes what's needed and what's most helpful is when the person has to figure things out for themselves. You see, husbands, we are so bad about trying to be fixers. Right? We honestly are. If, if our wife comes to us and, and they, they try to tell us what's going on, they try to tell us what's happening in their workplace or with their life, man, we, we got the answer and we're just so quick. Man, we're going to tell you exactly what you need to do and you need to go do it right now. And get me a sandwich in the process, right? I'm just kidding. Don't, don't throw that part in there, okay? But we are so quick to, to, to have the answer. But I want to share with you that sometimes the helpful thing is to just sit there in silence. And you may have the answer, it may be on the tip of your tongue, but the intelligent man, the intelligent person, restrains their lips because sometimes what your wife wants to do is they just want to talk, all right? And that's okay. Sometimes in their talking, they will figure out the answer to their own situation, and then they, they've done it themselves, and you don't have to do it, right? They don't always need you to come up with the solution. They don't always need you the answer, right? I want you to think back when you had kids, or some of you that have kids now, when your kid brings homework from home or from school, all right? And, and they're getting ready to go back to school, I promise you. They're going to go back to school. At least I'm hoping they are, right? And, and so th when they bring home that math work and they've sat at that table for 20 minutes and they're frustrated and they're mad about doing this homework and this math work, it's so much easier for you to jump in and say, listen, just give me the sheet and I'll do it myself. And then you do the sheet. And guess what? You spoke truth. You got the right answers. You were tactful and gentle and giving the right answers. But guess what? They didn't learn anything about that math they were supposed to do. You see, sometimes we do that with our words, that we're so quick to give an answer when we shouldn't, when we should restrain ourselves because the person has to work through the situation themselves. Some of the greatest counselors will tell you their job is just to sit in silence and let the other person talk. And eventually that other person can work out their own situation. And so sometimes we just need to restrain ourselves. And we need to, even though we think we've got the perfect answer, sometimes our words of silence speak great because they allow the other person to process and think through something else. There's another reason that people do this is simply that, that sometimes the person doesn't need words to be spoken. There are, are situations when there are not words that you have of comfort, and there are not words that you have of hope. There are times when you walk into a room that something tragic has happened, and they don't need you to bring them the gospel. They don't need you to bring them uh, the words of encouragement. They don't need you to start singing psalms to them or quoting scripture. You know what they need? They need you to love them like Jesus does. They need you to just wrap them up in your arms and hold on to them. They, they just need a shoulder to cry on. They don't need you to tell them it's okay and everything's going to be okay. They just need to know right now it's okay not to be okay. And they just need to know that you're there even when it's not okay. You see, sometimes we use too many words and we step over our helpfulness by inserting too many words. And, and sometimes the best answer is just to say nothing. There's another reason, a final reason, when saying nothing is sometimes the best thing when we think about it. In chapter, 20, or chapter 27, verse 28, he goes on to say this. He says, Solomon says, Even a fool is considered wise when he keeps silent, discerning when he seals his lips. You see, sometimes you realize that you have nothing 
to bring to that moment. Sometimes you realize that, that you have nothing intelligent to add to that moment, to that conversation. And that if you did try to add something to that moment or to that conversation, you're going to reveal very quickly that you don't have the slightest clue about what you're saying. You're just talking to feel an awkward silence. You're just talking to feel a, a, a void in yourself. You're just talking so that you get words out. And he says, listen, sometimes you're better off not knowing what to say and keeping your mouth shut than running your mouth and revealing that you don't know what to say. Sometimes we need to just keep our mouth closed because we don't have the words that need to be spoken. Sometimes the helpful words are the words that we've thought through, and as we thought through them, we thought the best thing to say was nothing. John Maxwell notes it this way. He says, sometimes the best thing we can do for someone else is to hold our own tongue. You see, our words have to be true. Our words have to be tactful. Our words have to be thoughtful. And sometimes that means that we don't say them, but they also need to be timely. You see, um, that's the, the um, words that we use. We have to use the right words, and we have to use them at the right time. Several years ago, um, I, I read a story about a gentleman who went to a funeral. And the funeral was for a, a gentleman who was mid-age, and he was killed in a car accident. And his widow was there, um, like a lot of funerals, and you kind of go through and shake hands with folks and tell them you love them, tell you you're praying for them. And uh, there was this widow who was there, and she had three young kids. And that was all the family they had. That was it. And so here's this casket with this man who was killed in this tragic car accident, very unexpected. And here's this wife who's got these three kids, and they're kind of sitting or hanging on beside her. And this very well-meaning Christian gentleman walks up to this lady, and, and in this moment, he just simply says, well... It's just God's timing. And that was the words that he had for her at that moment. It's just God's timing. And I can't speak to what the woman's situation was. I don't know to what had happened. But her response was simply this. Then God needs a new watch because his timing stinks. Except stinks is the only word I can use from here. All right? It's not the word she used. All right? I want you to realize that did he speak truth? Yes. Was it God's timing? Yes. It was. Was that the truth she needed to hear in that moment, in that situation? No. Is that a truth she's going to encounter later in life? Yes. But in that moment, in that situation, that is not the truth that she needs to hear. So listen, even though we're speaking truth, even though we're trying to wrap it up as nice as we can, that we really have to do it in a tactful, in a timely way. Dr. Thomas Miller, he wrote this. He said, everything you've ever said to someone falls in one of four categories. He says, you either spoke the wrong words at the wrong time, and it discouraged them. Or you spoke the wrong words at the right time, and it frustrated them. He said, maybe you spoke the right words at the wrong time, and it confused them. Or he says, maybe you spoke the right words at the right time, and that's the only thing that encouraged them. You see, there's a huge benefit to not only knowing what to say, but when to say it. In chapter 25, verse 11, Solomon makes this clear. He says, the spoken or, or words spoken at the right time is like golden apples on a silver tray. It's a work of art that lifts your spirit. The right words at the right time is what encourages someone else. It's these moments when you can lift someone's spirits. It's these timely moments that you have to be sensitive to the situation at hand. And so you come and you speak truth and you speak it tactfully, but you've got to speak it in the right moment. It's got to be timely because if it's not timely, what you end up is you confuse people, you frustrate people, or you uh, discourage people. But if you'll speak the right words at the right time, then you'll speak words of truth and encouragement. The next thing is they've got to be transformative. When we strive uh, to speak helpfully, we've got to speak words that give life. And we've got to speak words not just for speaking purposes, but we've got to have a purpose. And the purpose is we want them to be able to do something, to, to be transformed, either their attitude or their position. In chapter 10, verse 13, he says this, "...the mouth of the righteous produces wisdom." But a perverse tongue will be cut out. You see, wisdom, we've talked about this before as we work through this book. Wisdom is not just information, right? Wisdom is not just knowing facts. Wisdom is skills that you gain. It is wisdom that allows a mechanic to look at a car and say, this is what you need, and then do it with their hands. It is wisdom that allows these folks up here that play instruments and sing to do those things, right? That is wisdom as well. It's not just intellectual knowledge. It is skills to do something. And so what he's telling you is the mouth of the righteous produces 
wisdom. It produces skills. It produces something and produces a change in something or someone. It allows them to do something different because you gave them skills and knowledge to do something. Right? He says kind of the same idea in chapter 15, verse 7. He says, the lips of the wise broadcast knowledge. But not so with the heart of the fool. Again, we're broadcasting knowledge. That is our goal. You see, some of us are guilty of we just talk because we like to hear ourselves talk. All right? And again, maybe this is more confession. I feel like I'm just confessing all of this up here. Um, that sometimes we just talk because we want to hear ourselves talk. And we, we talked about this idea of a fool, and they just, they just rattle stuff on and on and on and on. They're not really making any sense because they don't have any idea what they're talking about. But some of us just talk just to hear ourselves talk because we like the sound of our own voice. All right? Now, again, you don't nudge people, but you may know somebody that this is what they do. They, they can't sit in a conversation and not be quiet. They've got to interject something. And what he's telling you is, listen, if you want to have helpful words, then have words that produce wisdom. Have words that broadcast knowledge. Have words that actually have something behind them. Don't just talk to hear yourself talk. You see, sometimes the folks that you will admire the most are the folks that say the least. And when they do speak, they speak words that you know you need to hang on to. My dad was that kind of man. My dad was the kind of man who had very little to say. He, he didn't talk a lot. But when he did, you knew it was important. Why? Because he didn't waste his words on everything else. When he spoke, he produced wisdom. When he spoke, he broadcast knowledge because those were the only words that he was going to use. Right? So some of us need to, to realize that when we want to use words that are helpful, we've got to scale back what we say because the only goal that we have is not to hear ourselves talk. It is to produce wisdom and to broadcast knowledge that we should be able to transform someone else with what we have to say. And if we can't, then maybe we shouldn't say what we're saying in the first place. The last characteristic, probably the most important characteristic of helpful words is that they have to be tailored by God, that we have to give God control of our tongue and our speech. And he says this in chapter 16, verse 1. He says, The reflections of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. You see, when we let Him speak through us, then we don't have to worry about what we say. You see, when I was in that room with this new widow and these two daughters who had just lost their father, the only wisdom I had in that moment was to go to someone who had words to say that I didn't have words to say. The, the only wisdom I had was to step to the side and whisper that prayer, God, give me some words of something to say in this moment. You see, that's what it means to allow God to have your words, so, to give God the, the tongue of your mouth, that it is the answers that are His, not ours. You see, when we do that, our heart becomes in tune, and we need to worry less about saying what we think about a situation and more about what He thinks about a situation. You see, so often we get in a conversation, well, I think this, I think that. Maybe it shouldn't be what you think. Maybe it should be what God thinks. And let His answers be the ones that you're giving. You see, if we'll let Him speak through us and in us and in our heart, then our heart will be aligned with Him. And when our hearts are in tune with Him, then our words will be life-giving. Our words will be truthful. Our words will be tactful. Our words will be thoughtful. They'll be timely. They'll be transformed. Why? Because they're His words and not our words. They are tailored by Him. He has selected them. You see, that's what He's talking about when Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 6, verse 24, that out of the heart... The mouth speaks, all right? Our heart has to be in tune with God if we're going to allow Him to tailor our words. You see, and that's what it takes for our words to be helpful. They have to be truthful. They have to be tactful. They have to be thoughtful. They have to be all these things. But if they will be in tune with God, if they will be tailored by God, if we simply will close our mouth and let Him use us as a puppet and a mouthpiece, then we won't have to worry about all these other things because we know that He will speak the truth. He will do it tactfully. He will do it in a timely manner. And when we do those things, we'll find out that our words have amazing power. You see, when we go back to that verse in chapter 18, verse 21, where it says, Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Let me just go real quickly through this last part. And it's simply this. This is what words of life can do. Right? We talked last week about words of death and how devastating they can be. Let me show you what words of life can do. First thing they can do in chapter 10, uh, verse 11, is they can be refreshing. In chapter 10, verse 11, says they, he describes them this way. He says, they are a fountain of life. 
Right? A fountain of life is, is a spring or a river that, that brings life to an area. They are refreshing and they are comforting and they're encouraging. The second thing is they can be rescuing to people from death. In chapter 12, verse 16, he says, The words of the wicked are, are a deadly ambush, but the speech of the upright rescues them. And finally, he gives us that they can be restorative or they can restore people. And I love this one in chapter 15, verse 4. He simply says this at the very end. He says the, or the, at the beginning, the tongue that heals is a tree of life. Right? And you're thinking, how is that restorative? Let me show you how this is restorative. The tree of life that is used in this phrase is the exact same phrase that is used all the way back in the book of Genesis. And some of you remember back in the book of Genesis when there was just two people. There was just Adam and there was just Eve. And there were all these creatures running around. And there was God in the garden because there was not sin that separated God from man at that time. Everything was perfect. Everything was exactly as he designed it to be. And there were two trees in the garden that they were not to eat. There was one, excuse me, there was one tree that they were not to eat of. And it was the tree of good and evil. And then after they ate of that tree, he says, listen, we've got to move them from this garden. Because if not, they will eat from the tree of life. And they will live in this separation from me forever. Right? So what he's telling you in this verse is that healing words, helpful words, words that speak life, are words that can take us back to the place where we can eat from the tree of life. It can take us to a place that has rescued us. It can take us to a place that we can be restored back to the perfect plan of God. It is the words that we use that restore us back through the cross, which is a tree of life, to the tree of life that gives us life in the beginning and what allows us to have eternal life. It restores us back to the way that God designed us to be, which is to be in complete fellowship with Him forever. The tongue that produces life is a tongue that heals, and it is a tree of life that points to the tree of life. It has amazing power with it. And I want to finish with one story that I read this week. There was a, a man and a woman who traveled around the country, and their job was to train frontline grocery store workers and retail workers on the power of words and, and the impact they could have in their workplace. All right? So I don't know how you get this job, but they, they went around teaching um, um, cashiers and baggers and, and uh, folks that were working with the public, this is how you use words so that your company can do better. Right? And they traveled all over the country doing this. The thousands of people or managers would send their employees to these workshops and they trained thousands of people and, so, and then they would move somewhere else. And so at one point, a couple months after they were in this certain area, and I don't know where the area was, um, they, uh, the lady got a phone call from one of the managers of the grocery store that she had trained their employees in. And the manager said, listen, I've got to tell you, our, something amazing is happening in our store. And, and in fact, it's so amazing, the whole culture of not just our store, but our whole community is changing because of what you said in your workshop. And the lady said, well, okay, that's great, like, but I, what did I say? What, what is happening that's causing such a change in your store? What is so life drastically different that you had to call me and track me down and, and call me to tell me this? And he says, well, listen, here's how this all happened. I, I was walking through the store last month, or excuse me, a couple weeks ago. I was walking through the store a couple weeks ago, and I noticed that we had all these cashiers and all these baggers standing at their lines, but only one or two people in each of their lines. He said, but then there was this other line, this last line over here, farthest one, and they had this massive line that wrapped all the way to the frozen food section. And he said, I thought it was so weird that all these people were in this one long line to get checked out over here, and yet we had all these baggers and cashiers open. We had the lights on. Like, everybody should know these other lines are open. And, and so he said, so I did what I was supposed to do. I got on the little intercom set, and I said, aisles number one, two, three, four are all open with no one in line. You may get in any of those lines. And he said, and then I just stood there, and nobody moved. And I thought, well, maybe they just didn't understand what was happening. And so I, I got down out of the little booth, and I went, and I started walking through the line, and I started telling people, hey, these lines are open. You guys can go to these, this line right here. You can get out of this line, and you can go to this line where nobody is waiting. You can step in this line, and these folks will check you out. You can be in and out of this real quick. And yet nobody moved. Everybody in that line said, no, it's okay. We'd rather wait in this line than anywhere else. 
And so they just kept waiting. And he said, that, and I, I just couldn't, I couldn't figure out what was going on. And he said, then to make it even stranger, that I noticed some folks that worked in the floral department. And he said, our floral department is different than anybody else, right? They are their own little entity over there. They don't leave the flower shop, right? They, they just get over there and they do their little flower thing and they don't interact with anybody else. Except, over the last few days, those florists in that flower department, the floral department, instead of the flowers that come in are broken, or instead of the, the stems are broken, they used to just throw them away. He said, over the last few days, I've noticed them, they take those flowers that are broken, and they go to those people that are standing in that long line all the way back to the frozen food section, and they look for an older lady, or they look for a young lady, and they give her that flower. They either pin it on her, or they just give it to her. And he says, they, it brightens up their day. And he says, I've, I've seen people who, who would be grumbling and complaining any other time about standing this long line and why we didn't have a... He said, now they're smiling and they're talking to each other. I've seen people who avoid grocery stores as much as they can and now they're there. In fact, he said, one day I was walking through that line and I was trying to tell everybody that, hey, there's these other lines. And finally this lady stopped me and she said, no, I will, I will stay in this line because I need my encouraging words from Johnny today. And the manager looked at her and said... I'm sorry, ma'am, you need what? And she pointed over to a bagger at the end of the line that all these people were waiting for. And she said, your bagger, Johnny, he gives me words of encouragement. So much so that I used to avoid coming in the store. I, I used to dread coming in here every week. In fact, I, I tried to push it off to every two weeks. She said, but in the last month, I have come in here every single day, and I have bought something every single day just so I can go through Johnny's line and get words of encouragement from Johnny. You see, what the manager didn't know was at the end of that line was a 19-year-old bagger who had Down syndrome who attended that workshop and he took it to heart that his words had power. And every day since that workshop, Johnny went home and he either looked up a quote or he made up his own quote of affirmation or encouragement. And he typed it on a computer six times. And then he printed out 50 pages of that same quote. And then he cut each one of them out. And he signed every single one of them. And every day when Johnny came to work, he put this stack of 300 list of encouraging words right beside his bags. And every person that came through the line, he checked them, or he put their bags in the grocery. And the last bag, he would put one of these little signed notes in. And when he gave it to him, he looked them in the eye. And he said, I put something special in there for you. I hope it brightens your day. And then they walked out the door. And he said, this 19-year-old boy with Down syndrome has changed not just our grocery store, but he's changed our entire community because he realized that he had the power to speak life to other people. I want you to look around this room and realize that if a 19-year-old boy with Down syndrome can change the culture of his community by slipping words of encouragement in someone's grocery bag, then imagine what this church could do if we used words of life with everyone we came in contact with. Imagine what you guys that are watching online could do if every time you got online or every time you encountered someone else, you spoke words of truth and you spoke words of life to them. I got a feeling that we wouldn't just change the church. I got a feeling that we would change the community. I got a feeling that we could change the culture that's not in Cleveland but it, we could change the culture in North Carolina and we could change the culture all across this world. Why? Because we took them back to the tree of life that could restore them to what it was meant to be in the first place. Let's pray together.